<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, Cynical listeners. Kaiser here. For Golden Week this year, we wanted to give our listeners a little bonus and offer some of the best shows that we've run on the Seneca Network for your enjoyment. First up is a great episode of Middle Earth with Aladan Fahre, whose show is about the culture industry in China. This episode features some of the most successful podcasters in China talking about that business. You'll meet a young woman from Nanjing who runs a podcast about museums and another about Harry Potter. There's a Texan who podcasts in Chinese and the creator of Gusha FM, which is the Chinese version of This American Life, as featured on the New York Times. I'm sure you're going to like what you hear, so search up Middle Earth Podcast on your favorite app and hit subscribe for more great podcasts from Aladdin. And check your feed all this coming week for more best ofs from the Seneca Network. Hi everyone and welcome to Middle Earth, your source for insight into China cultural industry. How the cultural business works in that part of the world told by the one we're in the trenches of creation, production and distribution. I'm your host, Aladin Faré from ChinaCompassProduction.com, your film production service in the Middle Kingdom. And this show is a member of the Sinica Network, powered by SubChina. Regarding China Compass Production, I will actually be at the MIPCOM in Cannes in France this October. In case you are around, come and say hi. As usual, don't forget you can take a look at the show notes on the episode description to find the recommendation or the guest contact info. Today, it's a kind of a podcastception that every podcast show does, having podcaster talking on the mic about podcasts. But with approximately 486 million podcast users in China and around 80 million daily users, this cultural industry is something worth taking a look. Uh, when we talk about the money, then it becomes really fuzzy. China administration claim it is worth $7 billion, but what they mean is actually the pay-for-knowledge industry, those type of show where consumers pay directly for online content, and they do not really include ad-driven podcasts like this one. For the classical podcast, we just could not find any numbers. To give you some comparison, the US podcast industry made $314 million in 2017 and should double by 2020. But US pay-for-knowledge industry, according to our colleague at TechBuzz, are $12 billion in 2016. Therefore, when you are a podcast producer in China, how do you find an audience and especially money? And hopefully, today's guests certainly have an answer to those questions. Yu Wanying, you are from Hubei, currently in living in Nanjing, where you host two podcast shows, Po Wuzhi, Museologue, a show focused on museums all around the world since 2015, and Hali Boke, a podcast about Harry Potter. I must emphasize you managed to earn money, mostly through sponsorship and a little bit from an online shop. But fortunately, you are, and I quote, supported by a loving husband <laughs> in a day to life. Your show attracts 30,000 listeners per episode. 
next guest, uh, next city, Joshua Thomas Ogden Davis. I hope I pronounced it right. Yes, you did. You're from Texas and you arrived in China nine years ago where you lived all over the place. Yeah. Guangzhou, Haiku, Beijing, Hangzhou, and then Shanghai. You are a Mandarin Chinese translator, puppetering, and do as well audio and video production. And some years ago, you made two programs with Simalaya, the equivalent of China audio Netflix. One worked really well and the other was a complete disaster. <laughs> that's a bit harsh, but roughly, yes. Well, this is what you told me before on the pre-interview. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You are a more a pay-for-knowledge kind of guy, but you did those through in Chinese. So congratulations. And last not least, my first guest who can claim to have been interviewed by the New York Times, Ko Haidre. Nice to meet you. From Jinlin province, former librarian and journalist. You are the creator of one of the most listened China podcast, free podcast, Kusher FM, Story FM would be the correct yeah, yeah. translation. Story okay. FM. The China's version of This American Life. You started the show in 2017 and now have a team of 10 people helping you out. And each episode attracts 400,000 mm. listeners. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, first talk about why on earth starting a podcast, the type of content produced, the business model, and the distribution. Then, as usual, we'll move on, move on to the quiz and the guest recommendation. I just want to add, in case you listeners did not realize this, that we are now doing a long-distance interview. Wan Ying is in Nanjing, Josh is in Shanghai, Aijie is in Beijing next to me, fortunately. So yeah, that's the first time a long-distance uh, studio-style uh, recording that we ever do. Hope they will pan out. So, hi guys welcome to the show happy to be here nice to meet you guys as the usual first question why do you guys uh, started doing podcasting i'm gonna be really honest with you and with my audience the first reason i started doing middle earth is because when you live in a when you live in a big city and you want to meet producer or content distributor and you just want to take a coffee with them unless you're someone really important they are not going to talk to you but if you give them a mic and you're like tell me your story tell me how cool you are uh, then people usually have time to meet you so who wants to go first maybe you can pick Okay, well, you start. Okay, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I start uh, Story FM or Gush FM because I am a podcast fan for quite a long time, from 2007. Back then, I, have, I had a iPod Shuffle, uh, orange one, very small. Back then, in 2007, there were uh, not many podcasts, especially in Chinese. I learned English from podcast uh, since 2010 i quit my library job into journalism uh, my first job was in swedish radio beijing office uh, from there i learned a lot uh, about how to do radio in 2016 i start my personal podcast it's called Dentai or Aizhe radio inspired by this american life of course i always want to make this kind of podcast in Chinese because this American Life type of uh, storytelling podcast is uh, so prevailing in English world, but there's no such kind of program in Chinese. I made uh, seven episodes. My current boss uh, thought my podcast is quite interesting. Maybe it, it's the trend uh, of a sound program. So he invited me to join Uh, the, the company Da Xiang Gong Hui to create a podcast. Who is Da Xiang Gong Hui? 
Dan Gonghui or Elephant Group is a Chinese media company. They write articles about history, social science stuff. But the company always want to incubate more programs, including videos or podcast. Uh, well, let, let's move on to Nanjing okay, with sure. Wan Ying. How did you start your podcast? I think the primary reason is that I have a lot of say. I I just talk a lot. And uh, <laughs> I got invited, actually, by Mr. Li Rui, Lawrence Lee. Uh, he had this uh, podcast network called IPN Intelligent Podcast Network. I was his listener. I was a big fan of his. He knew that I was studying museology, the study of museums in Canada. Uh, so he asked me if I wanted to open up a podcast about museums, to which I happily said yes. That's how uh, Bouger started in August of 2015. Josh, your story is actually slightly different. Yeah, and I'm glad that we can get this out in the open at the beginning, because I feel very humbled by both of you, Aija and Wanying, and, and Aladdin as well, because you guys are making podcasts uh, from your passion, from your enthusiasm. You just love something so much that you want to do it. I'm making a podcast mm -hmm. to make money. <laughs> that's that's how I got started. I loved, just like I, Jill, I loved listening to podcasts uh, or radio shows. When I was very, very young, I uh, would listen to This American Life in the radio because I was in the USA. I'm an American. Um, I loved This American Life. I loved The Moth Hour. All these radio shows, I loved them. But I never made them until in 2017, I published a book that doesn't have an English title. It's Yu Lao Wai Jiao Peng You. It's about how to communicate cross-culturally and how to effectively build friendships with people from, from other countries. And to help promote the book, we were looking for ways to get more media exposure. And a friend of a friend of a friend, you know how it works, um, knew the CEO of uh, Himalaya, which is one of the biggest podcasting apps. So we got a meeting and they liked us, me and my co-author, they liked us. And so they gave us a contract to make a podcast. And that's how I got started doing it. After that, uh, after that podcast was finished, Shimalaya came back to me and said, hey, we like what you do and we want to have more English content. So can you make another show for us just by yourself? And that's what I've been doing since then. But so far you've done two shows. Are there more coming up? Yeah, I, I would love to branch out into something that is based on my interest and something that is not so crassly commercial and capitalist. It's just <laughs> something that, um, that I do it just because I love it. Because both of the shows that I did for Shimalaya, I should clarify this. They're both paid shows. Users have to pay money to listen to them. It's perfect. We're going on to the business model. Personally, the business model of Middle Earth is just me getting some more Guanxi out there. And because the, for me, there was a need to talk about the China today's culture industry, because we always talk about China history, China economy. Or when we talk about the culture, it's always like uh, China has 5,000 year history, but we don't talk about the, the rap or the the new film, etc. Or, or then we talk, when they talk about culture, they just talk about censorship. So I got a bit tired of always hearing the same thing. So that's why I started it. My business model is to meet more people. And now this show is being produced by a company that's going to help foreign companies coming to shoot in China. What about you, Wan Ying? I think you have like the hardest uh, business model of all of us. <laughs> well, thank you for pointing that out. Um... <laughs> I I live on my savings and <laughs> and donation sponsorship uh, patronage from my listeners. Actually, 
so what we do is that if you enjoy Boju, you can become a member. It works a lot like Patreon, actually. Uh, so you give a certain amount of money per month or per year. And in return, you have some exclusive episodes, uh, exclusive newsletters. You get to hang out with the hosts, and sometimes you get free tickets to exhibitions, things like that. It's it's doing quite well actually, but still not enough to support everything I need to buy and consume. So <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> we're still trying to make this more profitable. Uh, not necessarily making big money out of it, which I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I'm just trying to pay for all my bills. You have quoted me correctly that I'm really lucky to be partly supported by my husband. He really believes in my potentials. So let's see. I'll, I'll do my best in the future. The, the best kind of a Patreon and co-producer. <laughs> but okay, when you say you have some patrons, but then okay, for 35,000 people listening to our mm -hmm. episode, how many will support you effectively with money? Uh, a few hundreds. There are three of us, so we kind of have to split income and, uh, you know, pay the rent of my studio. And due to the uh, my show is a show about museums, I have to travel a lot and to actually visit museums. So I have to pay for the train tickets and hotels, things like that. And the museum, they're not interested to have you over, you know, like you're some kind of a KOL, key opinion leader that can talk about museum mm -hmm. and, you know, they open the door free for you, they pay your train ticket and at least you do a show about them. Nope, because museums, <laughs> <laughs> museums in China, they, they, they are state-owned museums, most of them, although they are more and more, uh, you know, Uh, corporate museums owned by entrepreneurs or you have some modern arts museums who will more likely to fund creators uh, but most of the museums are state-owned they actually don't have the budget or they don't even have this idea to uh, actively promote their museums so yeah that's the real reality we are facing here I do so you Actually, you have the best position ever. Like you have a boss who is paying you to do podcasts. Do your boss care about how many people listen to you, the budget, those kind of things? Actually, we are a capital <laughs> company. Yeah, we need to earn money to keep this uh, team running. The mainly uh, income is from uh, uh, commercials. Uh, of course, uh, I think for a few relatively big one podcasts in China. It all depends on ads. And nowadays, there's some uh, like uh, car companies. They invited us to make uh, stories for them to interview their like uh, car owners. And also, there are some uh, like commercial real estate companies like uh, shopping malls. They want to inter uh, invite us to make uh, a space into Story FM theme to uh, attract more, uh, how to say, uh, consumers to their shopping malls. There are some kind of uh, business mode. We are trying to uh, explore more kind of modes. Okay, so if I understand, you have other ads which are 
within the episode of Gusher FM, or then it's the shopping mall or the car. They like you make a, you co-produce an episode with them, and then you put the episode on Gusher FM as well, or it's a completely no, no, different feed. That's only for their cars or for their shopping malls. There's a car company called、uh, Vela. I don't know their、uh, English name. Called Vela is an、uh, electronic uh, cars. Uh, you can listen to the episodes in their cars. Ah, okay. So the episodes are within the car when you buy the car. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> All the way to get some、uh, free content, you have to buy your car now.、Amazing. Yeah, actually, it's a good way to make the car owners to know each other, to feel it's a community. So, Josh. So, yeah, like I said, you are、uh, on. You made two shows with Simalaya. So, one in when we were talking before the recording, you told me one was worked really great and the other completely failed. Can you explain why? Yeah. Well, the the one that did not do so well was the first podcast that we did, and that's a podcast that I did together with my co-author, and it was based on the book that we did. It was sort of like an audio summary of the book. And the reason it didn't work so well, there were two reasons for that. The first reason was I was doing all the tech by myself, and I had never done it before. So I had to buy microphones, buy cables, buy an external、uh, audio card, and I didn't set it up right all the time. And then I had to learn how to edit, and it would take me hours and hours and hours to edit a ten or fifteen minute episode with two people talking in the same room and some background music. And it was、uh, it was pretty rough at the beginning, but the real reason why we didn't get the listenership that we wanted for our first podcast was because、uh, my co-author and I cooperate really well on creating text, on creating the book, but we did not cooperate so well talking to each other. <laughs> we didn't have a really good feeling. It wasn't it wasn't really natural,、uh, and I think that people just didn't buy it. I think that people who listened to the show probably thought that. We were in different rooms and we didn't know each other, and someone had paid us to to do this. So the feeling wasn't really that great. But over the course of that show, I learned how to use all the software. I learned、mm. what microphones to use and how to do it all. And so then, for my solo show, I was already clear about okay, what's my style? What's my humor? And how do I use my tech to help produce that? So that became a lot more popular because I think the show had a much more clear. Personality. Whereas in the first show, people were like, "Who are these guys? What are they doing?" What I'm very confused.、Uh, I think that listeners respond very well, especially on a podcast. Listeners respond extremely well to personalities, and that's why I think Ijo's podcast is incredibly great because he does a really good job of bringing out the people's personalities. Like、I've, I don't think I've ever heard Ijo ask someone a question on the show, but their personality comes through very, very clearly. We did not have that at all on our first show. But my second show, I think, really did sort of showcase that in a, in a way that listeners could respond to. It's funny because I would have thought that a first show based on a book, you would have you would have already all the material. Everything is there. You just need to translate it into audio. Yeah. And the second program, you started things from scratch, and then it became better. I agreed with you before I did the podcast. I thought, oh well, this is great. We already have the book. We just have to kind of make it interesting into a microphone for a few minutes, and then we're done. And that's actually advice that I still give people. If you want to start making a podcast, you should absolutely use material. 
title or use a subject that you're going to be doing anyway. Like you were studying, uh, Wan Ying, you were studying um, mm-hmm. museology. Yeah. You were going to be writing about and thinking about and talking about museums, even if you never did the podcast. And I think that's something that people can continue to do. A lot of people come to me and say, hey, I want to make a podcast, but I don't know what I want to make the podcast about. And if you don't know what you want to make the podcast about, you're never going to do it because you need a lot of motivation. You need a lot of dedication to keep doing episodes every week, every week or every month, every month. Whereas in my second show, everything that I wrote, all the material that I wrote, I wrote for a podcast. So I didn't have to worry about taking something that already existed and then changing it for an audio format. Because in a book, you can see all the words on the page. You can put pictures there. There's a spatial relationship. People read at their own tempo. But if I just open up a book and read it to you, it's not necessarily going to be as good of an experience. Can you give us some number of how many people downloaded it? So we know that Wan Ying has like 35,000 downloads. I drew as 400,000. But you, it's different because it's paid paid for content knowledge right nevertheless like how many people downloaded the two shows like can you give us some figure to know what's a success and what's a, a failure well uh contractually i can't give you very many numbers i can just give you the numbers that i that you can see on the app uh if you go to to um uh, that's my name on uh, on Himalaya. you can see that my personal show has about five thousand uh subscribers and a sub, but the, that number is really, really weird because uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that many people bought my show. And some people are paying mm. for the content without subscribing because my personal show, and this is a, a whole other can of worms. If you have a, a Shimalaya VIP and you're paying every month for that Shimalaya premium service, you don't have to subscribe or download or even like my podcast, but you can still listen to it. That's something that was different from our first show. Our first show, it was not VIP-free content. You had to pay money in order to listen to it, and not that many people did. Um, It was from beginning to end, I might be violating my contract by saying we never broke four digits. (laughs) It was always three-digit listeners for that show. But that was a show where we didn't get paid unless someone bought the show. And every time someone bought the show, we got a share of that. But for my personal show, because it was VIP free to listen, the objective there is actually not to get people to buy my show. That's not the best outcome. The best outcome is people buy the VIP service from Simalaya. That's what the app wants people to do. So in that show, I did not get paid based on how many people bought my show. They gave me a flat fee for doing the show. Uh, and there was some other arrangements around that. But the monetization from my end was very, very different for that show. And that's one reason why I had the security and the confidence to keep doing that. I was doing shows Monday through Friday every week, and I did one live show on top of that every Thursday evening. Uh, And the shows were short. They were 10 to 15 minutes, roughly. But I had the confidence uh, to keep doing that week after week after week for nine months because I was getting paid a guaranteed amount of money. I could not have dedicated that much of my time and effort to something that I don't know that I'm getting paid for. And that's another reason why I, I admire Wan Ying and Aija so much. <laughs> okay, we will move quickly on to the relation with the distributor and how to find your audience uh, after this short break. 
Josh, you just said that uh, we are passionate, we do things, and some of us, like even now, manage to make money, even though it's not really that easy. Yet the question is, um, I feel it's always like people say, yeah, you should do great content. But me, after years of working in documentary and 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 a bit of podcasting now, I feel that you should do 50% of the production, like really work on that. Mm -hmm. But then also you should spend 50% onto the distribution of the content. Mm -hmm. You can do the best content in the world, but at the end you need a distribution. I mean, that's why in film, for example, like the producer and the distributor are two completely different jobs. Even if you make a great film, you still need someone to distribute the content and make it out there. Either like, how does the how does that work? Are you involved, for example, in any of the distribution? Uh, for the distribution part, actually, we done very little work. We simply upload them to all kinds of sound platform. Actually, at the beginning, we signed a contract with the uh, Qingting FM. How to say, Dragonfly FM. Uh, it's a big audio platform, somewhat equivalent to Himalaya. Yeah, it's a very similar idea. But that contract is. Uh, very simple. There's no money involved. Dragonfly has a competition with uh, Himalaya, mm. so they don't want us to upload to Himalaya. And they don't give you money for it? Uh, no, they don't give us money. They just uh, recommend us in their app. So that contract only lasts for one year. After one year, we, we don't want to sign any kind of... Uh, contract anymore. Himalaya actually want us to sign the same kind of contract. I think it's not a very good competition. Uh, I don't want to pick a side. So I equally treat every platform. I upload to all of them. Um, and we we didn't do any, you know, uh, like uh, invest any money to do promotion because I think the content is the the key if we make the stories good enough i think uh, we can attract listeners we want i have to say i really envy ijo about he said that he hasn't uh, uh <laughs> spent much of his energy on distribution but he i actually found out gushi fm from dashang gonghui uh so the mothership and already dashang gonghui is very popular it has a huge audience, uh, a lot of readers, uh, through which many of them will find Gushi FM. So that distribution party comes naturally with Dashiang uh, Gonghui, I think. But of course, I love Gushi FM itself. It's great content. So for me, <laughs> for me, Boji, actually, I am a little bit of a weirdo here. I don't want to, I don't really want to upload my podcast onto platforms like Himalaya or Shinting FM, Liju FM, whatever. Because, um, first of all, I cannot have a full show notes there. You cannot uh, put links in the show notes. I think show notes is, is a critical part to podcasts, especially for Boji, because I have to link to a lot of articles, websites, and museums that my listeners can check out for themselves. And sometimes the, the platform like Simalaya, uh, they will mandatorily post uh, ad uh, advertisement in front of or in the middle of or at the end of my show, which has nothing to do with me. So I don't want my show to be tampered with. That's why I host it on uh, Fireside. That's an American service. Of course, on the other hand, 
since I am not really uploading my show onto those platforms, uh, it positively affects the number of downloads of the show. I just want to uh, create my podcast. That's the one thing I want to do. I am really... My adrenaline just kicks up, kicks up when, I, when I'm recording or when I'm doing the editing and the post work. But when it comes to post, when it comes to Twitter, when it comes to Instagram or Weibo, I'm just, I, I hate social media. Somebody, please be my manager. <laughs> Josh, I know you're a different kind of content creator, but therefore, like, did Simalaya when they are marketing their VIP pack, were you part of their marketing campaign? Absolutely, yes. And that's why they hired me to do my solo show in the first place, was because they were just starting uh, their VIP service, their membership service. And when you're trying to convince someone to buy a membership, you want them to see that they're going, that they're buying a complete package. Doesn't matter what you want to listen to. We have that here for you. So they hired me to sort of flesh out their English uh, learning uh, and their intercultural communication offerings. So I'm I'm one of the world's luckiest podcasters in that I completely agree with you a thousand percent, Aladdin, that you have to spend a lot of uh, – you, like you need great promotion or else you're, no one's going to listen to your podcast. There's a million intelligent, funny, interesting, engaging people out there with a microphone, but we only hear about a few of them because it's so hard to get someone to actually listen to your show. But I was signed by an app, and so the app had a vested interest in promoting me. And so you would there were long periods of time where you would log on to Shimalaya and my face would be on the front. Or if you clicked, oh, I want to listen to English programs, they would show you my face. Wanying, I really, I completely understand mm-hmm. the frustration with um, being in control of your own content on different platforms because Uh, the show notes are a big pain mm-hmm. for me too because I want to direct people to my other social media and I need to because I, I need to interact with my fans. If I want them to be engaged with me and like me and want to listen to my content uh, and maybe pay money for my content, I need, to be, I need to have more ways for them to interact with me. And the platforms really do make that hard because this industry is still very competitive. Mm-hmm. There's Shimalaya uh, and Xingting, and they're in hard competition. And those are maybe owned by different companies mm-hmm. than uh, Weibo or WeChat. And so they don't want you to bring people to other apps at all, exactly. even if it could be better for your show. So when I was doing my first podcast that was promoting our book, we did exactly what you said that you're debating doing, is we couldn't put a, a, a purchase link to our book on Simalaya. But we just, in every episode, said, hey, go to our Gongzhong Hao and, uh, and uh, see more information there. But we couldn't write it in the show notes. Because sometimes they would block it. Because it, sometimes they would, sometimes they wasn't. They wouldn't. Uh, so that's um, that is a big challenge to face. Personally, I believe you know if I have to sacrifice a little bit of of uh, control over my show, if they're going to put a 10 second ad in front of my episode, or they're going to put someone else's face like down in the corner and say like, <laughs> if you like this, you should also listen to Kusher FM. I'm fine with that if I am multiplying my listenership by quite a bit. Our Gongzhong Hao has been a great source of, of other business for me, <laughs> to be crass about it. And a lot of people don't know about the Gongzhong Hao except for my podcast. Uh, so I, I see great value in integrating things. Uh, and the more integration you do and the more you have other people invested in promoting your podcast, the less time you have to spend on promoting it yourself, which I think is 
great. I love spending more time focusing on my content. Yeah, I think it's always a different type of job. Uh, just to give an example, so before Middle Earth was an indie show completely, and after we did a few episodes, we reached out to the Sinica Network and SubChina.com, and now the figure are being multiplied by 10. Mm. But just the fact that you have someone doing your promotion, like someone who has a Twitter account of 20,000 fans, uh, mm. they already have a brand which is like recognized for many, many years. So yeah, I think the distribution is... Yeah, as important as the creation. Yeah. yeah. We just talked about the the fan. Well, I'm guilty of charge. I listen to a lot of shows and then I never like uh, congratulate the people on Twitter. I don't mm. give a lot of uh, comment on uh, iTunes and etc. So what about your fan? Like, do you do you do events? Do you meet them? Wanying, because you have like a few hundred people giving you yeah. money. I mean, congratulations. Like, like no one does that for me. <laughs> yeah. Real money. <laughs> So how is your relation with those people? How do you engage them? How do you persuade them? Do you have like some people who after a few months they will stop? And then you have to try to persuade them to keep, please, please, please keep keep giving me money. When we ask for patronage, we always emphasize, you have to make sure first you have the means to live your life happily. And if you actually have some extra money and you like us, perhaps consider supporting us. And of course, people, people come, people go. Sometimes they stay for a couple months and saw this is not worth their money and they leave. There's no hard feelings. Of course, we do some meetups, offline meetups. Uh, people show up, people buy our merch from the Weidian store we have. It's a quite friendly relationship, actually. We have a very active uh, WeChat group, a uh, few hundred people in there, too. And of course, there are also haters online, but I guess everybody, <laughs> <laughs> you just ignore the haters. Otherwise, yeah, I don't know how to continue doing my shit. So, Well, there is even haters about a podcast about museums. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such nerdy podcasts are so boring. I don't want to spend my time in museums, things like that, of course. And of course, people hate on us personally because our personalities, you can tell I have quite a bit off and uh yeah we we make some merch out of out of it out of the criticism on itunes uh somebody critiqued one of our guests uh, extremely narrow-minded so we printed out on the t-shirt and it's selling really well <laughs> <laughs> i do do people recognize you in the street well uh i would let me recognize my wife <laughs> uh, uh, but normally, uh, when meeting some friends, because I know uh, friends, friends, all uh, many of them are my audience. We have a lot of feedbacks for every episode. Uh, sometimes we we even want to uh, shut down the the comment zone because they judge too much. You know, because we do true stories told by uh, real people their own wise. Sometimes people will judge, why do you choose to do this? You're such a bad person, this kind of thing. It makes me feel very bad. Um, every time we interview those uh, storytellers, uh, we are like friends. We make the uh, atmosphere more, uh, very intimate so the storyteller can tell you the deep down thought. But uh, after the episode aired people see such kind of word i think it is kind of hurt hurt 
But I can, from the feedback, I know people really like this kind of program. Real feeling you can experience the life you never experienced, or you have a similar experience. And that's the touching part. The reason I chose a true story told by real people because I think. Uh, sound is the best medium to to convey people's feeling. In that sense, I think my purpose is achieved. And I guess the numbers speak for themselves. If you have hundreds of thousands of people listening to you, it's already a success. I don't think、uh, we are successful already because Wan Ying's business、uh, business model or Josh's business. This model, I think, that are more、uh, healthy. You can have the very true feedback.、Uh, how many people really like them? How many don't like them? But for us, I think、uh, true people's、uh, storytelling program is very rare in Chinese world and not dared to、uh, charge, because、uh, if we charge,、uh, expel most of the people outside. So I want. Mm, as more people as possible to know there's such kind of program existing. Yeah, I recently did a, a seminar on the podcasting industry for a different club in Shanghai, and one of the things I found was that Ijo, you're really doing a Western business model for a podcast. Whereas, as as Aladdin mentioned at the beginning,、uh, in China now people well people in China often feel more willing to pay for an audio show, whereas in the West we grew up with radio. And so we think that podcasts are like radio, and you don't you don't you don't pay for it,、mm. which is why I my own business model feels a little bit weird to me, and sometimes I do feel odd about.、Um, wait, I'm just I'm doing like I I write it, I record it, I edit it, I write the copy, I launch it, and you give me money for that, like that it's <laughs> worth it to you. <laughs> but, but, I ask that my but I guess I ask it that is myself very often too. Yeah. But I think your guys'、uh, program is more like、uh, paid for knowledge. Uh, learning English definitely is a、uh, uh, knowledge here in China, and also、uh, like a bouge for the museum knowledge. It's a lot of knowledge. People can understand. We need to pay knowledge, but for us,、uh, paid for story. <laughs> Maybe not many people think. Well, actually,、way. that's why I am trying、yeah. to persuade my listeners that they are paying as a sponsor. More of a sponsor, then I think more and more people in China、mm. now are getting used to that mindset.、Um, if if Gush Gush FM now opens up a donation channel, I will donate because I really like the show. I want to hear more from you guys, so I give money. That's very straight and simple. And for my part, I don't、mm. think that people are actually buying knowledge, quote unquote knowledge, like in a textbook. Because if you want knowledge, you you should read a textbook. You should not listen to a podcast. <laughs> and、uh, well, not not the same thing、yeah. for you, Joshua, because because you're teaching English. That's a very that's a very aud- audible thing. And for Edge, I think it's fundamentally different in our business models.、Uh, I try to remain independent by taking money directly from my listeners. That way, I don't have to do advertisement and.、Uh, I don't see there's a problem with your, with your model at all. 
And come, going back to your、uh, last answer about those haters, when you have such a big audience, the haters they just come. They're they're everywhere. And、uh, I don't know if you have noticed.、Um, actually, on some platforms、uh, like NetEase Cloud or Himalaya, a lot of the comments are actually AI generated. Yeah. If you pay a close ten- attention, they are not real person, real comments. This is just some ram- random rambling to make up the numbers. So don't 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 care too much about those.、Um, we mentioned a minute ago about、uh, monetization and what people are willing to pay for. Even the big apps these days are trying harder and harder to convince people to pay money. I think it's almost like an arms race. Like if oh, if I buy this show on Himalaya, I just get audio. But if I buy the show somewhere else, or if I spend this Trisha Shelfe, like this, this if I buy knowledge somewhere else, maybe I get more.、Mm. So even the big podcast apps are trying to add more features now. And this is something that comes up a lot in my talks with Himalaya: is oh, we're going to add this new feature where you can have a more interactive. Uh, dribble like like、mm-hmm. more interactive live show, or we're having we're like are building our own little Weibo inside of the app, or things like this, where they they really try to emphasize giving users more opportunities to interact with,、uh, with with the the hosts, and that goes back to Aladdin's question that I kind of took us away from, and I apologize for that, which is, do you interact with your fans? I've I've been recognized on the street a few times, not very many, I think, because I have a beard. And that's something that's real distinctive <laughs> for people and long hair.、Um, but I did try to interact with people, like starting WeChat groups and、uh, like in my live show. If you won a competition in the live show, then you could join the VIP group or whatever, whatever. And it always feels a little bit weird until I remind myself, you know, this is a business. <laughs> we are, we are. I'm, I'm trying to have fun with these people and trying to interact with them and help them, but. Uh, the, my business model is is a business model. It's not this American life. I'm not just sharing stories because I love them or because I think that、uh, people need them and it's good for a healthy society, even though it is. <laughs> like I'm, I have a product that I'm selling to people, and that's one reason why I think I haven't started doing face to face meetups, is because I still feel a little bit weird about、uh, I am you know I'm selling you my time. I I think maybe as an American, I still have this voice in my heart that says. Audio is free. Audio is for the people, and, and the more money people pay just to get a little piece of me, the weirder I feel about it. But actually, about Jishu Fufei, you mentioned that Chinese people are more willing to pay for knowledge. But I, the more I think about it, I, it's more to me. It's more like paying for a gym membership. You 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 buy your gym membership card, and you think you think you have exercised. <laughs> like, yeah. yep. You pay for your these knowledges.、Uh, you perhaps a lot, a lot of people don't really listen to them. They think I pay the money, therefore I am more intelligent. I'm more more knowledgeable somehow. This this really comes from this anxiety in the modern day in today's Chinese society where everybody is trying to go higher, go to the upper class. If you pay me money, you'll know you'll know more about museums, so you can brag more about with your friends. That's not what I'm trying to do. So, yeah, I I don't like this knowledge uh pay pay for knowledge trend. Just yeah, just a personal opinion here. Yeah, I very much agree with、uh, Wan Ting Wan Ying. Um, because um I think most of the new media in China they. Want to create the atmosphere of uh, anxiety uh, to let people. 
pay for their products. It's very common phenomenon. Yeah, in my show, I do kind of try to undermine that because, especially in English, people get real upset. Like, oh, my accent isn't perfect. Oh, I make a grammar mistake once every three sentences, so、um, foreigners will think I'm stupid.、Nah. That's something I try to talk against in my show. Even well, a lot of people do get very, very self-conscious. Like the first time I meet someone, they might talk to me for a little while and say, "Oh, my English is so bad. I'm so sorry." So in my show, I try to emphasize a lot. Like you don't have to be perfect at English. The for any language, you just have to be willing to do it. If I'm funny enough, if I'm personable enough, maybe I make people feel comfortable enough to. Not worry about it so much, which is kind of the antithesis of the、uh, pay for knowledge model, which is you will never be good enough. You must always give us all of your money, or you, or you'll be stupid and you'll never be successful.、Um, so yeah, I guess I, I'm still trying to undermine that while still getting paid for it, which is a conflict. Damn, you guys are so good. We're always reaching the next question. <laughs> My next one would have been, how do you see the podcast industry? In five years, or how do you see your shows in five years? I'll I'll just go ahead and start.、Uh, so for Bolger, my goal, my aim here is that I can travel the world and visit museums from money I made from this show. If I have to sum up it really simply, that would be it. In five years, would 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 we be there? I don't know. Probably not. But I don't want to give up for now. About Chinese podcast industry, that is a really big word, and、uh, already here for the four of us, we each have a different kind of podcast. They're distributed on different pop platforms. We are still sort of in a limbo here.、Uh, I don't think we can tell clearly. We can see clearly where the road leads us in five years. So Josh, you already talk about this. Like in Himalaya, it seems like they're really rushing on doing. I, I think what you just said, like they Himalaya, they want to do some kind of Weibo style. I think like every app now, they all want to touch like on everyone other territory. Now Douyin, they try to start selling stuff on their app. WeChat, like they start doing like short video. I feel like every app, they all try to become the super app. Because in the Chinese market, there's so much competition for everything all the time,、uh, especially with apps. I think that all the apps—it's—it's it's a constant arms race for the apps. They want to be able to give the users more than what the other apps are giving. So if I have a podcast app and I'm still just giving you podcasts, hey, I have—I have some shows. Buy some headphones. You can listen to them. If you're only doing that, then your competitor is adding more interactivity, is adding more options. You're going to fall behind. So it's—it's it's ironic in that the apps are trying to convince their listeners that you need to pay us money or you're going to fall behind.、Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, the apps themselves are spending huge amounts of money to try to stay ahead of their competitors. It's it's just it's a it's a crazy situation. So for me, I think in the next five years in the Chinese podcast industry, I'm now using my <laughs> announcer voice.、Um, I think that.、Uh, That I don't think that、uh, pay for knowledge is going to go away. I think that the apps have made it entrenched into、uh, the podcast app user consciousness that、uh, pod- knowledge-based podcasts are worth paying for, which is something that Americans don't have. Americans are sometimes willing to pay for video courses, but much less so for audio in general, even if they are courses. Let me stop you right there,、uh, mm-hmm. because actually,、uh, okay, because of the distance. But during my intro, because I was also really surprised when they say China podcast industry slash 
learn for knowledge mm -hmm. is seven billion dollar and big. then everyone's like oh but the us is almost nothing and then actually our colleague at tech buzz uh, panda daily they did some research about that because they found the number was quite high mm -hmm. the difference was so unbalanced and they realized that actually the pay for knowledge in the us is around 12 billion dollars so maybe it's mm -hmm. not just podcast and also because we have no numbers about what's the What's the size of the classical podcast industry in China? Like right. you, you, like Aiju and Wan Ying Shou, like we don't, they are some kind of category and we have no numbers about this because maybe they're so little. Mm -hmm. No one really want to research into this. Yeah, I think uh, specifically what I'm talking about, the conscious, the consciousness of podcasts. When I open up something like Google, Google Play or uh, something like iTunes, I'm not necessarily bombarded with requests for me to purchase something. I'm bombarded with content that uh, is going to be popular and good to listen to. Um, to this day, uh, even up to 2018 and even into 2019, the majority of revenue from podcasts is advertising in the in the U.S. This is some numbers that I, I found some some reports and, and did some good little boy research <laughs> on that. Uh, so from what I can tell, the podcast industry in the states is more. Uh, producer driven or small network driven, whereas in China, a lot of it is more app driven. And the app is definitely going to want people to pay money. Every time they open the app, there's going to be something, some show they can pay for that's going to be shoved in their face or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the, the apps that have tried to become the Swaweta Netflix of podcasts uh, to this day haven't really been as successful. They're still, they're still struggling. It's getting better. But pretty much all of the podcast apps in China are already kind of being the Netflix of, of podcasts and that they're all, they already have VIP services. They're all, they already have lots of paid shows that you can listen to. And I, so what I was trying to hit out a moment ago was that I don't think that that's going to change. I don't think that the Chinese people are going to begin thinking about podcasts the same way that uh, uh, most Americans do and that most of them should be free to listen to. Uh, but I do think that the, the picture is going to get a lot more complex um, there will be more and more, and this is great, there's going to be more and more things like uh, you guys' podcasts that are not specifically knowledge-based, and you don't have to pay to listen to it. And that's great that there's more and more of that cultural-based content. I think that it's going to be slightly harder for people to pay for content. It's going to be harder to sell content. And I think that people are going to be more choosy about what they pay money for as the apps are trying to say, oh, well, if you buy this podcast, you also get access to their private Weibo. You also got access mm. to some private chats with them. As more and more of these little added value things are added on, it's going to be harder and harder to sell a show because it's going to be harder and harder to produce a show. I can produce my show by myself right now if I'm just making and uploading audio. And if I have to spend hours a day managing my fans um, who paid to talk to me, I can't do that by myself. Suddenly I have to open up a whole company to help me operate this one show that I used to be able to do by myself. So that's that's where I kind of see it going. It's gonna get weirder, it's gonna get more complex, and people are still gonna be willing to pay for it, but there's gonna be more and more free content and people are gonna be a lot more jazzed about the free content in China, I think. Uh, for us, I think the basic need is to stay alive <laughs> as long as possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as I said, uh, storytelling podcast is not many in China. Uh, we need to let more people know this range. I think there's a lot of good stories in China. We can make them uh, like 10 episodes. But our team is uh, not big enough to make such a huge project. You're, you're, you're yeah, already, already 10, 10 people. people. <laughs> 10 people is not enough. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know, we have、uh, we aired three episodes each week. It's a tons of work,、mm. so we don't have is、uh, any other energy to do more stories. My business mode is、um, more like、uh, American ones. I want to copy their mode to China. I I believe people would like to pay for storytelling in the future. Well, my my hope because me, I'm trying to listen to other shows to improve my Chinese and to listen to stories. And the one thing that really struck me is that I think the quality of the recording most of the time for Chinese podcast or play like、uh, Guangbo <laughs> Guangboju, like the quality is really bad to stay polite. Like the quality、yeah. of the mic and stuff like this. Like sometimes I'm really impressed that what people they don't listen themselves. Like this is really. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm quite surprised by this. So I would hope that in the next following years, people will improve their skill and quality、so. side. Yeah, yeah. Last time in in Shanghai, the Pod Fest, when we met,、uh, I met、uh, when the host asked me to give some advice to podcasters. I give a very simple advice: just stick your mic as close as、uh, possible to people's mouths、uh, to, to to make the sound quality. Better, Ija. Ija, I need to make a confession to you. I stole that from you. <laughs> I use that now when <laughs> I, when I give a speech about podcasts. It's always my last because it's a great stinger at the end.、Mm. Like you, you give your summary, and this is the things you really need to do. But the only thing you really need to focus on is staying close to the mic because、yep. it, it sort of drives home the point that you can do it. And like if you have your stuff, like if you if you're putting your phone in front of your face. And you're recording on your phone. You're already pretty much as good as a lot of the people who are selling their their pay for knowledge content、yeah. on Shimalaya, and they recommend、yeah, exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. In my first talks with Shimalaya, I was like,、oh, okay, well, I have a great setup, and I can I can do this for you. And they were like, yeah, but you know, no pressure. You can record when you're on the road. You know, just record in your phone. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and and you want you want people to pay for that? Like, that's crazy to me. So I hope all of you recorded、uh, this episode with your phone really nervous your right、mouth. now. What if I mess this up? But it's true that I have a lot of friends who are podcast hosts. Hosts、uh, just do it for a hobby.、Uh, when we talk about this、uh, audio quality uh, topic, uh, I got a lot of feedback about、uh, audio quality is not that important. Many people have this point of view, and they think that content is. The most important. It's a heritage from the radio area when we used to listen to radio, and people you will have listeners calling in, and sometimes the audio quality is really poor, but people just stay around. So I I don't know. A lot of podcasts, like Ija's podcast, if Ija had bad audio quality, it would be hard to listen to because it,、uh, so much of that podcast depends on the sensitivity、yep. of the voice,、yep. and you really need to feel like you're talking、yeah. to this person. You're having an intimate experience with this person. So if that was happening、uh, on a, on a, in a poorly recorded setting, I would not feel as good listening、mm. to it. But honestly, even though I spend a lot of time trying to get my sound quality pretty good. I'm one of those podcasts where you don't necessarily have to, but I do think it does, on a subconscious level, help people enjoy the podcast. But I think a lot of people aren't as conscious of that yet. I think maybe more and more as as standards go up, as I think they are. Now moving on to the quiz part, the moment when everyone is afraid of looking like a dumbass.、Oh, no. The first question: Who is this podcaster? Is a producer and a host. He has a talk show. Maybe he does a pay for knowledge as well. And he's as he's like the most listened and the most rich Chinese podcaster. He has earned thirty-five million RMB. 
Uh, Josh, uh, he has he has funny hair, doesn't he? The name of the guy is Tsai Kong Yong. Oh. Yes, the guy with funny oh. hair. Oh, oh, I knew yeah. who he was. Do I get credit? Because I said he has funny hair. Because he does have funny hair, and he has a bird on his shoulder. He has no. A I don't. I, I didn't say my name. It's a new show, right? I don't. I don't. I, I think it's new. That he has a podcast. Oh, it's it started as a show, like a TV uh -huh. show or a web series, and then they turned it into a podcast. I give you half a point for it, Josh. Congratulations. <laughs> You're so generous. Thank you. Some time ago, there was a huge scandal uh, regarding the podcast and pay-for-knowledge industry. So one show steal the content of a book and they remade it like as their own show. Of course, the author discovered about this. He was not really happy. Do you know who are the people involved? Josh. Yes? No, I don't know. That is my answer. Okay, so no one knows. <laughs> Barely once again. <laughs> Your big question is so hard. <laughs> so the name of the author is Zhong Pengyu, and the show that stole his book was called Ping An Nyang Nyang. I've had people steal my book before. People have sent me like a Weixin Gong Zhong Hao, like a like a WeChat post or, where people are like trying to sell their own English classes, and they've just lifted material out of our book, which is it's crazy how rampant that is. Yeah. I haven't. I didn't press charges or anything. I, I sent them a message like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Like, "Hi, I'm me." Just making, just making sure you know what kind of person you are. And good luck. That happened to me too. Yeah. Yeah, copyright thing is a big issue in China. Our stories frequently authorized publish on different websites. But do they make money out of that? Attract more readers, listeners. Okay. Shameful. Uh, last question. Maybe one of you will find the answer. <laughs> Zero confidence. Josh win by half a point. With, with my half point, this is a, a series low, a low point. In 2017, how much Simalaya claimed in revenue? I have to emphasize that Simalaya is not a public company, so they don't open their book. No, I have no idea how much. I, I mean, I worked for them in 2017. I helped them make that money in 2017, but I don't know how much money they made. 300 million? 300 million on my right. I really have no idea. I'm so bad with numbers. Let's hear the correct answer. So Adrew is the closest. Well, that, that was really a shit show. But yeah, so no one knew. <laughs> you guys, you guys don't really look for your own industry. Yeah, so Simalaya in 2017. Welcome, welcome to this week's episode of Embarrass the Guests. <laughs> Okay, but they claim they have earned $100 million, but as the book are not open, we cannot really know if it's the case. Idre, you win. You, you win by luck. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, now moving to the last part, which is the recommendation. Would you guys have any Chinese show in Chinese or shows about China or in podcasts that you would recommend to the audience? You, you asked me this before the interview, and I realized I actually don't listen to a lot of podcasts about China. But the one that I, the one that I do listen to, I think the only one I listen to that's focused on China is called Digitally China. It's on the Radii Network, and they talk about uh, China's tech industry. And I think one of the reasons I like it is because I met the people who make it at PodCon, and I, I enjoy it because they talk about the tech industry in a very accessible way. Um, and they're they're here, they're involved in it, and so they don't fall prey to a lot of the hype that a lot of American news falls into about Chinese industries and things like that. So I think it's it's if you're into tech and you're into industry and you're into China, 
I think Digitally China is is a, the podcast for you. As to recommendations for your listeners who are, I guess, mainly English speakers,、uh, I would recommend a cooking show actually on YouTube. It's called Chinese Cooking Demystified. You have an American guy and his Chinese girlfriend that living in Shenzhen, so. They are really showing those quite authentic recipes. Well, authentic is debatable, but、uh, quite authentic、uh, recipes of Chinese cooking in a Chinese kitchen at Chinese food market, and I think that's quite rare and fresh on platforms like YouTube. So it's very English speaker friendly. Yeah, I like that show. I would recommend、uh, two Chinese shows.、Uh, one is called. BB Talk or Ritan Gongyuan,、uh, hosted by one uh, 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 my friend. It's called、uh, we call him、uh, we call him Uncle Li Li Shu.、Uh, it's a、uh, like a cultural talk show. They talk about uh, uh, everything, movies, uh, cartoons. Uh, the other one would be Hu Zuo Hu You, also hosted by、uh, mm. my friend、uh, Yang Yi. Yeah, it's also a talk show, a cultural talk show, but、uh, it's more narrow but more deep. They、uh, interview uh, like uh, writers, uh, uh, book publishers, or movie industry people. I, I like it very much.、Yeah. Okay, and all those recommendations will be on the show notes of the podcast. Thank you, dear listeners, for sticking until the end credits. Thank you, all of you guys, for coming here today, even if we were like doing a long distance interview. Thank you. My pleasure. It's quite an experience. That was fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. Middle Earth is produced by China Compass Production. In case you have a film, a documentary, or a news project related to China. Drop us an email at chinacompassproductions.com and see how we can set up a win-win cooperation. Today's episode was produced, written, and edited by Aladdin Faré. Co-produced by Kaiser Guo. Music by Sean Calvo. Designed by Brendan Gonzalez. Research by Clay Wang. A big thanks to Yang Yi who connected me to some of the guests. You can look at Middle Earth Podcast on LinkedIn, Facebook, or WeChat. Drop us a like or tell us what subject you would like to hear about. I guess you already all have a podcast app, but if you don't want to miss the coming show or listen to the old one, you can subscribe to our feed. And please do consider leaving a review or a comment wherever you get this show. Always help with the algorithm and our ego. Otherwise, I sincerely hope to see you next time. Have a nice day. Bye bye. I'm gonna stop recording now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>